kindness, wave after wave, mercy arriving again and again. Your love will find us, you're never far away. Battles behind us, battles ahead. God, you are for us, so what stands against? Oh, we have this promise. within your name this we know this we know you promise never to forsake what you began you will sustain 
This we know, this we know. I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. So rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Of the heavens and the earth, announce the fullness of your worth. For this we know, this we know, and every enemy will flee as we declare your victory. This we know. This we know, I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. So rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Jesus' name will break every stronghold. Freedom is ours when we call his name. Jesus' name above every other. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Jesus' name will break every stronghold. Freedom is ours. He alone is strong enough to save. So rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every chain. I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. So rise, shackles are no more for Jesus Christ has broken every chain
that you would reign in us with no limit and with no limitations. God, as we come into this place this morning, reign in the parts of us that are overjoyed and happy and excited to be here and to be amongst people we love and to be with our family this morning. Lord, reign over the parts of us that are full of concern and worry and frustration and fear. Lord, we don't want to be in any way hidden from your lordship over all of who we are. And so, Father, this morning, it's simple, but it's profound, Lord. Reign in us this morning. Be the king of every single part of who we are today. Lord, reign over our focus, reign over our hearing, reign over what our hearts will take in from what you have prepared this morning for us, whether it's telling each other how good you are to us, to the worship, Lord, to the word that you've placed on Pastor Brian's heart. Reign over how we hear what you would say to us. Be the king of that this morning for us this morning, this morning, Lord. We thank you so much that we can ask that of you and know that it will happen. We invite you in this morning, Lord. It's in your name we thank you and praise you. Amen. Be seated. Little confession as we get started. I don't know if this is good news or bad news. I've really struggled with what God's put on my heart to share this week. It's it's simple, but yet at the same time uh, can be complex and very wide-ranging. It's one of those messages my wife, she's terrified of because it's one message that could easily be four. And I know that's creating some fear in some of you who may have lunch plans later on today. But it won't be four, I promise. We'll kind of keep it tight and short. But just know these these are uh, this is a message I've wrestled with. And maybe those are the good ones, the ones that don't come easy. Because I know God's doing something in me as well. But we began a new conversation last week called Reset. As we enter into a new year together, this is a great time for us to perhaps to pause, to reflect, to reconsider, to refocus, or to reset. To think about those areas of our lives that maybe we want to see lived out differently in 2023. And uh, maybe do things we want to practice or, or new habits we would like to uh, instill or be, make part of our lives. But before we get into all those external things, it's important we think about the internal things as well. And the reset opportunity we have spiritually, excuse me, uh, to make in our, in our walk right now with, with God, with Jesus Christ. And we kicked off last week talking about four simple prayers that we're going to be discussing. And last week's prayer was, was simply, Jesus, reset my heart. Reset my heart. I heard from many of you, young and old alike, of, of what that simple prayer meant. And, and already what some are, are considering or reconsidering as we begin a new year together. Today we're going to be talking about resetting our minds. We have a lot of fun with that, and we're going to have some fun in just a few moments, but, but it's also a very serious conversation. Next week, we'll talk about resetting our voice, our testimony, the words we use, and finally resetting our hands, the ways that God would have us serve. And he uses all of these opportunities for reset to help us get back to the original design for which we were created. To reset is to restore, uh, to, to help one fulfill its original purpose or its original intent, to start over, if you will, to try to get it right the second or third or 33rd time. It's okay as long as we keep trying. We let God continue to have more and more control, slowly becoming molded into what he has created us to be. Sometimes he uses our failures, those life struggles, to shape us in ways that we never could on our own. We'll talk about that in just a little bit as well. But this internal work, but I'm praying that God does in each of us it has to be something that we are intentional about, that we choose to do. 
not going to happen on its own. So during this conversation of, of, of looking how our inner worlds interact and how God would hope to reset them, it's also speaking about this resetting of our souls. Maybe you're glad for 2022 to be over because that was just a rough year for some. We tend to say that about every year, though, don't we? Life has a way of being heavy, consistent. But aren't you glad our God is faithful? So today, as we move on from the resetting of our hearts, let's dig into a little bit of what it means to reset our minds, our thoughts, the things we think about, the things that we've come to believe, the, the, this constant firing of the synapses in your brain, that this thing that we do that was called thinking. Some of us don't think too well or not as well as we used to. Some think too much. We overthink things. Sometimes we, we let our, our thoughts and our beliefs kind of have too much control. Or we lean into things of this world that we've bought into and allowed them to tell us what they think is true. But Paul warns us about thoughts, about the battles we'll face, about the struggles that we'll have with our, our thinking lives in Ephesians chapter 6. And this is a passage where he's talking about putting on the armor of God. And he warns us why we might need to, to do something like that. And beginning in verse 10, he says, finally... Be strong in the Lord, mighty, and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Spiritual forces, the devil's schemes, they all begin, these battles all begin in our minds with our thinking, what we let in, or the, the lies that we've come to believe, the struggles that we've faced. The reality is this type of conversation, the things that we think about, or what we do with our minds in a spiritual sense, there's so many different directions that we could go. There, there's so many conversations that we would need to have. So to fit into one Sunday, it's kind of a disservice, but I believe God knows what he's doing, so we're going to continue and we're going to plow through. And as we began last week, this resetting of our hearts, now we move to this other part of our lives, our minds. How do we reset our minds? Stay with me here. This might seem like a tangent, but I think it's all going to make sense as God brings it back together. See, belief comes from what we have accepted to be true. What we accept to be true is what has shaped our belief. And our thinking then is shaped moving forward based on what we know to be true and what it is that we believe. Now, I'm not one who talks often about politics, especially from the pulpit, whether you be red or blue or somewhere in between. The, the truth is we, we all might have our slants or we might have beliefs that we adhere to. And for many, unfortunately, this has kind of consumed our thought process, every aspect of our lives, what we look at on social media, what we consume on the Internet or the news that we watch. But here's something that God's been revealing to me in recent days. Much of the news that I read about or that I'll pursue online is not really news at all. Have you discovered that? Have you realized that? Stay with me here. What, and what, what I'm finding is that our thinking is often shaped by these news clips or sound bites that we kind of tie into, these headlines that we love and we click on and we read, only to read a little bit. And I'm, I'm not a journalist by trade by any means. But what I'm learning as I read, what I'm finding out as I read is that often it's one little clip or one little phrase or one little comment that then we, is taken completely not even out of context sometimes, and we use the opinions of others or the responses of others to make a news article. And we, we like it because often we go to the ones that either affirm 
or agree with the way that we think. So we're feeding into what we believe to be true. And it's impacting our thinking. Now, whether again, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or somewhere in the middle, that's true for many of us. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you might find yourself on. But here's the problem. This creates a dividing line. And it furthers division. It leads to us viewing others as us and them, as enemies, if you will. And what happens when that occurs is we no longer see people the way God sees them. It obscures our ability to be compassionate. It obscures our ability to see people or see opportunity to to love them as God loves them. Stay with me. This is all going to make sense. I hope, anyway. And we all get done. See, we were created with this need for community. That's a gift God gives to us is community. We were all created with that need. So we're all looking for a place to fit in, a place to belong. And, and let me tell you, this should be that place, shouldn't it? Well, you're not very convincing today. This is a place where anybody should come. They should be able to come in here regardless of what they look like, what their dress, what their background is, or what their lifestyle might be. They should be able to belong and be, feel welcomed in this place. I believe that, and I hope that you will come to believe that if you don't already. Here's the problem. We say it, sometimes enthusiastically, sometimes not, as we just saw. And I think we mean it until it happens. Until they don't look like us. Until they don't sound like we do. Until it really changes or stretches our idea of what church should be like. Until they sit in our seat. I saw that last week. When we were all together, we really threw some of you not be able to sit in the same spot. It was beautiful to watch from the back. <laughs> think about this cultural phenomenon we find ourselves in right now, where everybody simply wants to be accepted just the way they are. And then there's this battle within our culture to make everything okay. Here's the truth, though. Everything's not okay. Can we say that? We can say that and still love each other, can't we? Somehow we've forgotten that in our culture today. We're not sure how to do that anymore. And I'm not implying in any way that by accepting all people that we accept all things. We still preach truth. We still create an environment where the Holy Spirit can come and work and convict and correct. The Holy Spirit does that. God does that. Our job is to create a place where people can come where they are loved, where they are accepted. But when we allow our lives and our minds to be molded and shaped, sometimes we create this division where people don't feel welcome. A good friend of our church, I won't get into all the details right now, was sharing with me that he's had an opportunity in recent days to visit a, a number, number of other congregations and churches. And what he has found in those other churches, only one other church has, has welcomed them. And, and it was shared with me in the context that uh, that's, that's something that our church does well is we welcome people. As we, we embrace them, we make them feel like we're glad to see them. And, and that speaks to our, our ministry of hospitality. Now, I, I'm going to talk about, we're going to talk about hospitality here in the next couple of weeks because we have some hospitality needs. We need some people that are willing to be greeters or willing to welcome. And we don't just say that because it's, you can wear a name tag and, and be at the door, because it matters. It matters when new faces, God brings them into our church that they feel welcome. Sometimes it matters more than everything they'll hear from the platform or hear from Amy and the praise team and the worship team singing. That, that what matters, the biggest impression is how they're greeted. Are they accepted? Does someone want to sit with them? Are they left alone or are they ignored? See, we live in a culture where people just want to belong. They want to fit in. And this fit-in paradigm 
we've all been there. We find ourselves somewhere on some side of it, either being judged or doing the judging. And the cliches are numerous. It leads to this battle of our minds. Maybe it's a minefield or a mind trap, and all these cliches are real, and that'll be the last one I use today, maybe. But I pray that God helps us make sense uh, of what's going on in our minds today because the struggle is real. The battles are real. We're going to read out of Mark chapter 5 this morning. And I wasn't sure I wanted to use this passage originally because I just, I wasn't sure it was, I don't want to take it out of context, but at the same time, there's some language in here that I think is relevant for us today. It's a passage we read and we honestly, we get a little bit afraid of. You say that? Mark chapter 5. This day, Jesus' disciples went across the lake to the re- region of grass and Indies. Say that word a couple different times. I might not have said that right, but you don't know the difference either. <laughs> you can't pronounce it any better than I can. Maybe you can. Jesus got out of the boat, and a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. We're already we're uncomfortable, aren't we? How does that passage reflect, or how's that, how does that make any difference to us today? Well, stay with me. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he'd cry out and cut himself with stones. This was a man that Scripture tells us was possessed. We don't think about that very often in our cultural context today, but I think it's more true than ever before. Is Satan... Go back to where we began, in Ephesians chapter 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. It's still at work. Satan still fills many lives today. The lies that we buy or lead into that are still ever so real. And here we see this man possessed. Now in the message version, uh, this transliteration of Eugene Peterson he, that many of us are familiar with, tells us this, that when he, the madman, if you will, saw Jesus a long way off, he realized that something was different. He ran and bowed and worshiped before him. Then, bellowed in protest, what business do you have, Jesus, son of God, messing with me? <laughs> These are the, 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 the lies in his head speaking out, the demons kind of speaking out. Why, why are you messing with me? But yet he knows who's, he's in the presence of the Son of God. He can't help but worship. That's the response when we come face to face with Jesus. Jesus cast out the demon called Legion, or in the message it's called Mob, as in a rioting mob. The demons are, are sinning, they're herded of pigs. The pigs run off the edge of the cliff and they drown into the sea. People start to pay attention to what's going on here in Mark chapter 5. And we read... Those who had seen it told the others what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And at first they were in awe, then they were upset. Well, that was a lot of money that just went into the sea. They demanded that Jesus leave and not come back because they'd bought into a different lie. They had a different mindset. They saw the madman sitting there at Jesus' feet in normal clothes. He was fine. What had been his mindset before was no longer. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon-delivered man begged to go along, but Jesus wouldn't let him. He said, go home to your own people. Tell them your story. 
We'll come back to this passage in two weeks because that's the part that matters. Tell them what I've done, how mercy has been shared with you. The man went back and he began to preach in a ten-town area about what Jesus had done, and he was the talk of the town, the message tells us. Don't you think that'd be true? That's a news story you'd want to click on. There's some truth to be had in that. In verse 15 of the message, what we see is that Jesus resets his mind. And these are the words that Eugene Peterson uses. No longer a walking madhouse of a man. He was no longer a walking madhouse of a man. And I wonder how many of us can relate to that description or how many of us resemble that description. Madhouse of a man. I don't want to misrepresent. But the nuance of what is happening is significant. Satan has filled this man. Not, not with lies, but he's literally filled this man. Scripture's clear. And I think this is more than a mental health issue. I mean, perhaps it is, but it's a spiritual issue? Absolutely. And I want to be true to the context and the language and, and what we're reading because I think it's very critical. What is clear, though, is that all of us can relate to this description. Life can at times seem like a madhouse, out of control, chaotic, tumultuous, turmoil. When we think of the word madhouse, we envision mayhem or, or, or chaos, distress. You ever use the phrase, it's like a zoo in here? Yeah. Or it seems like all hell has broken loose. Sometimes that's not so far from the truth, is it? When we remember the battles in which we engage and what it is we're really fighting against, sometimes it is hell that you're up against. So now it makes more sense. We're able to put ourselves in the story. And while we may not be equipped to raise our hands and say, oh yes, I'm demon-possessed, I think you understand when, we, when those battles go on and the lies that fill our, our heads and our minds and how it impacts our thinking and how then we think about others and how God's unable to use us, all of a sudden, what looked to be like an inapplicable passage of Scripture, we find ourselves right in the middle of the story. Night and day, living among the tombs and the hills, crying out, cutting ourselves with stones. Or we might cut ourselves with something different, but you understand not able to find the freedom that we desire because our mind has been filled with lies, with destruction, with self. Maybe it began with a young girl who was abused, a teenager who now grows up feeling worthless or helpless, hopeless, overweight, unattractive. Maybe... It's a young man wanting to fit in and feels like he has to have a certain style or, or, or drip, like I said. Or, or, or <laughs> that's two weeks in a row. I've used drip. Who would have thought? <laughs> it's all downhill from there. And we, we think to fit in or to get others approval, we have to, have to look a certain way. Or, or as a parent, maybe you're just wondering, when, when is the dirty laundry going to stop? The answer is never, but, but you understand didn't I just clean that countertop or I just I, I, those windows are dirty again and we just can't keep up and we get overwhelmed and we begin to wonder is it really worth it or maybe you've been dealing with the diagnosis for so long and the illnesses just tends to linger or the words that you've heard from the doctors aren't encouraging and we began to lose hope we find ourselves in denial we've lost a loved one parent or even a child and we let Satan creep in in these moments and fill our head with lies, pull us away from him. 
Maybe you're overworked or your marriage is struggling or you're distant from your children. You find yourself un- unhappy and unfulfilled asking yourself, is this all that life is? Isn't there more to life than this? The answer is yes. Yet in the midst of the yes, we still deal with high inflation or being laid off or mortgage payments or buying food or needing to take out a second mortgage to buy food. But even in this room this morning, so many different mindsets, so many different battles going on between joy and happiness and celebration to struggle Hopelessness, helplessness, and pain. The pendulum is wide and it's real. Remember, though, in Mark chapter 5, what this walking madhouse of a man did first upon realizing that Jesus was nearby. Before we get, even get into the story of who he was and what was going on, Scripture tells us that he saw Jesus a long way off and ran and bowed before him. He ran and fell at his feet. He knew things weren't right. There were still battles going on within his mind, but he also knew where the answer was in the form of Jesus. Despite the, the realities that he faced in his mind, the battles going on in his mind, he knew who he needed to run towards. Yet in our world today, so many, even in the churches, run away from our Messiah, our Emmanuel, God with us. This man-man lowers himself to feet of Jesus, this act of submission, this posture of surrender. And before we can talk about resetting our minds, last week we had to address the resetting of our hearts. That's the posture this man takes in this moment. In all things, in all circumstances, no matter what's happening, we have to get our posture right, our hearts right, before God can help us get our minds right. And I pray this morning you'll realize that Jesus is near this morning. No matter what's going on in your mind right now, that you will hear his voice, you will see his face. And until we rush toward Jesus and bow down before him, no matter what it is that we're dealing with or how hard we we might try or or how much self-help, how many self-help books we might read, we're never going to fix it on our own. It all begins at the feet of Jesus. Maybe today you need a reset of your mind, your thinking of the things that you let in, of the lies that you've bought into. And some of them aren't just new lies. Some of them you've been dealing with for, for, for years or even decades. And this is a big deal. So when, I talk, when I've wrestled with this conversation in one service, this is kind of where I'm getting to. Some of you have been dealing with this stuff for years. And for me to have the audacity to think that in one 30-minute service, God's going to just come in and fix it, I struggle with that. Not because I don't believe he can do it, but I struggle with my own abilities. But, but it's not my ability today. It's him. And he's the one that, that you find your hope in and your help in. He's the one you fall down before. He's the one who right now is whispering to so many of us, are you listening? Are you, what, what lies that he's revealing to you? Do you hear him? And this battle is way being waged within our heads. We have to acknowledge it. Now here's some practical truths. Here's some ways for us to get the hope that we so desperately need. First, we acknowledge and recognize that we can only think one thought at a time. You know that, right? No matter how good you are, how fast you are on your feet, or how how quick thinker you are, uh, multitasking is a misnomer. It really is just the brain working more efficiently and more quickly. You're still only doing one thing at a time. Your brain is working so quickly, it might appear that you're doing more than one. Like walking and chewing gum. It, I, you know, I, I've heard that old adage, but you're only doing one thing at a time. You're having one thought. Some things become so ingrained with us that they're just natural. 
but there's still a thought process that goes on. So if you're thinking of pure thought, here's where I'm going with this. If you're thinking of pure thought, we also can't be thinking of an impure thought. One thought at a time. If you're thinking of the right thing, you can't be thinking of the wrong thing. If you're thinking of loving someone, you can't think about hating someone in in the same moment. So if you're thinking you might just be worth something, you can't also be thinking that moment that you're worthless. Because of Jesus' resurrection, Peter writes that we have a living hope, a hope that is forever alive, and that we can't simultaneously be in the midst of this living hope and think that our situation is also hopeless. We can think both of those thoughts, but not at the same time. This is the war that wages within us. So I ask this morning, as we go a little bit deeper right now, choose just one thought. and Think about in this moment something good. A good thought for just a moment. Is it easy? I hope so. No matter what it is you're dealing with, there's something good in your life right now. If you can think of nothing else, praise God that you're in his house this morning. The question, though, is then how do we fight? How do we fight such a battle? How do we set ourselves up for success? And I think it begins in God's word. How do we begin to have a, a, a mindset that's appropriate, that's right, that's correct, that's honorable and true? We have to dig into his word. We have to be in here. Whether it's in a book or whether it's on an, an, an iPad or whether it's on a phone, you have to be in God's word. If it's an afterthought in your life, in the mind games that, that you're living, I, I don't have to think too hard about how they're going. If you're filling your lives with things that aren't true, that maybe aren't of God, that are leading, giving opportunities for those battles to rage within you. I read recently, uh, this is a quote from Greg Hawkins and Callie Parkinson, says, nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of their spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible, specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. Biblical engagement is the single most spiritually catalytic activity a person can engage in. But for so many, it's once a week. Or it's, it's a two-minute devotional we get in our email every day. Or it's a meme that we see pop up on our social media. That, that's as deep as it gets. But there's so much more here. When we read ourselves into the story, God begins to fill our minds with the hope that he brings into our lives. When that fills our lives, then what comes out of our lives is the same thing. We are people that pour out what we allow to creep in. What is it that you're filling your life with today? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Paul understands this battle that wages within our minds. We don't fight the way the world does. Too many of us are trying to fight a worldly battle. We're a spiritual battle with worldly weapons, and it's just not going to turn out well. But until we get to this place of surrender, of recognition, of humility, and we just keep letting things in, and we justify it, we rationalize it, we make it okay. 
that before we know it, we're just a madhouse of a man or a woman. And life is chaotic. And it's a zoo in here. And we can't figure out how to get home. Paul then writes in Philippians chapter 4. Could have a lot of fun in Philippians 4. He writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about such things. These are the thoughts he says you are to have. (laughs) What's true? How do you know what's true? Read the book. How do you know what's right? Read the book. Listen to the Spirit as he leads you. How do you know what's noble? Not according to world standards, but what are God's standards? It's all in here. What's lovely? What's admirable? Something to be admired? What, what is excellent? What is praiseworthy? It's not hidden from us. It's right there if we would just dig a little bit. Paul says, take your thought life captive. Don't let thoughts roam through your mind unattended. Seize them. Hold them captive. Demand that they obey. Surrender them to God. Then fill your mind. Fill your life with what's true, with excellent thoughts, so that all evilness will be eclipsed. Jump down in the New Living Translation, if you will. He uses the words, fix your thoughts. Fix them. Get the drill out and screw them in there so that there's no movement, that they're there. The battle that we're in needs to be acknowledged. So our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What comes into your mind will eventually come out of your life. You can't have a positive life with a negative mindset. If you don't control what you think, you'll never control what you do. You've heard it said you are what you eat. Yeah, maybe. But you really are what you think. I am what I think about. Truth. So what are you this morning? Do we understand the concept of training our bodies? Uh, you going to the gym and exercising, watching what we put into it, but training our minds, that's, we don't really think about that too much. But it's something we need to do. <laughs> this week, one of my resolutions is, is to kind of get in shape and not because I'm 50 now. I really don't care about you know, having a beach body. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, but I do care that I have a four-year-old son that I hope to be able to do things with when he's a teenager. And I recognize that when he's a teenager, I'll be, oh, boy. Um, yeah, 60 almost. So I want to be able to do some things, if not everything. So I'm going to go to the gym. And I went to the gym this week. And I pulled in the parking lot. And I sat there. No lie. 20 minutes. Because in my thinking, I just wasn't ready to go work out. I sat there for 30 minutes. 40 minutes. I'm not joking. In my car, out front, at the YMCA, sat in the parking lot. And then I realized, oh, I don't have time to go work out. <laughs> I got to go pick up my son that I want to stay in shape with to do things with, and he's a teenager. I went and picked up my son at preschool. We went out and got ice cream. <laughs> that really didn't work out the way that I planned. I laugh about it. But there was this battle in my mind. 
that in that moment, my motivation wasn't strong enough. And those are the real moments that we deal with every day, don't we? We do. And some are funny, some are comical, some are lighthearted, but some are real. And they're deep and they're significant. Some of them impact your marriages. They impact your relationship with your children or, or they impact your relationship with God. And we have these battles and we, we recognize, we, we, we know they're happening. Before the first lie is even told, we even know how it's going to end. And Paul tells us what we need to be doing. Fix our thoughts. What's true and honorable, right and pure, lovely and admirable and excellent. I'm not talking Bill and Ted's excellent. Some of you younger ones, you're not going to get that. But The battles we face are real. The, the struggle for the control of our mind significant. Now, this is just a way that we can, a way that we can fight and stay with me here. We, there's this thing called meditation. <gasps> I know. Kind of this new age idea. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that now new age has kind of become old age. Um, it's, it's a lot, new age has been around a long time. It's old now. Uh, you know, this, but the idea of it is becoming one with the universe, emptying your mind. So many of you think you know someone who's already done that. You live with them every day, perhaps. I don't know. But the definition of meditation is to engage in mental exercise or to focus one's thoughts. That's not a bad thing. Scripture even tells us to do it. Psalm 119. David says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. Do you read and meditate and allow his word to fill us? Psalm 143, verse 5, I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Do you empty your mind so that God can fill it? When we reset our hearts, we fall down before him. When we reset our minds, we let him fill our, our minds and our thinking. When God's filled it up, the only thing that can come out is what he's put in there. If he's put it in there, it has to be the right thing. Paul writes, excuse me, again uh, in, in Philippians chapter 4, after he's kind of given these instructions on, on what his word think about, he then says, do not be anxious about anything. Think hmm. how much more meaningful scripture is when you read it all together. We like that verse, don't we? When you take it out of context, it loses a little bit of its punch. But now when you think about the right things, now it's much easier not to be anxious. But in everything he writes, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In verse 7, and the peace of God comes flooding into these madhouse lives that we live. It transcends all of our understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And with that idea in mind, now we're able to think about the things that God wants us to think of. Because he's filled us with himself. In verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. The God of peace will be with you. What Paul's saying is when we do these things, the battle's over. 
the peace that we yearn for becomes real to us. Understand when Paul wrote this, he was in prison, about to be executed, yet he's not anxious. He could have written back, boy, life stinks, the food here is awful, I find myself in chains, and I've really got an inch in my back that I can't reach. He doesn't write that, though. He, he tells the church, I want this to be for the glory of God with thanksgiving, to praise him, and I've got this peace that transcends all understanding, because I shouldn't be peaceful in this situation, and, and there's a lot of things I could be thinking about, but I'm still thinking about what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, Excellent. So no matter what it is we're dealing with, what lies have we allowed to fill our minds? What is it that distorts or controls our thinking? What might we need to let go of today? As we close this morning, I, had, I wasn't sure how to close today, and I'm still, still not sure what God's going to do, but I'm going to have Amy come, and we're just going to, we're, we're going to pray together. And maybe today, you need to do just what the madman did when he saw Jesus from a distance. He ran and fell at his feet, on his knees before the one who really could help him. No matter what conversations you might be having with yourself right now or with God, peace is available. Battle has already been won. We, we can live life from this position of victory because Christ has already defeated all that which we struggle with. What lies have you bought into? What are some things that maybe, uh, if you peel back enough layers, that, that you, you'll get to the heart of what's really going on? What might you have to ask God to really help you with? What hurt or, 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 or what rejection, what disappointment? What is it, is it you've allowed to have too much control in your mind? get into why that matters in the weeks ahead but I think you've already got a good idea the peace of God which transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ stand with me please as we pray together as maybe you just need to take a posture of submission surrender our altars are open if you need to come and spend some time before Jesus no judgment. None of us are in a position to do that today, that's for sure. Just to God who wants to help us reset our minds today. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us today. Are we willing to admit that maybe our lives too often resemble that of the man we read about in Mark chapter 5 this morning. Pretty strong language there. Scripture refers to him as demon-possessed. <laughs> it's really not something we wear on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. But Lord, many of our lives are filled with the wrong things or the wrong people, the wrong voices. We've let those voices fill our minds, Lord, and it it's impacted what it is we believe. But Lord, the real truth, life-changing truth we find in your word, it's a truth that shines light on the darkness. 
that reveals what's really separating us from you. Not, not Lord, to condemn us, but to give us hope. Hope for salvation, hope for, for, uh, for to be rescued, hope to, to be set free from that which keeps us bound. God, today I pray. There's battles today being fought. There's things that we're watching, things that we're letting in, uh, things that we're uh, immersing ourselves in, media that we're entertainment that we're just pouring ourselves into that we have fallen in love but think we just can't imagine the world without it. Would you show us what it really is that we need? Pray for the hurt, the discouragement, the disappointment that so many have lived or are living even now and how that's impacted their ability to see you, to hear you. Father, help me. Help me, Lord, to fill my life. This beautiful list that Paul gives to us. God, I pray that you will continue to do what you've started in us. Thank you for your presence. I know this is not an easy topic. It's not an easy thing to think about. But God, I pray you would free us from ourselves. God, I pray that you will restore us, help us to reset back to our original purpose, the way that you designed us, for the reason that you designed us. To help others come to know who you are. Just to see people the way you see them. To recognize that all belong. All are welcome. And all have a place in the family of God. We love you today and I thank you. Continue, Lord, to renew our minds. Change our thinking. God, I pray today that we'll be we'll honor and glorify you with our thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go, think on these things. Watch what God does. Have a great week.